Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Van Maren Show on LifesightNews.com. Those of you who have been following this show or any of the news here on LSN will notice that the Canada just had an election and Canadians re-elected Justin Trudeau but handed him a minority government, which is precisely what he had heading into this election. You might also know that the Conservative leader, Aaron O'Toole, who I've written about quite a bit for LifeSite News, was a social liberal who ran against social conservatives. He screwed them over during the campaign on conscience rights. He did everything he could to make it clear that while their votes were welcome, their views were not. Now, I really wanted to spend this week's podcast having a bit of a discussion on what the election meant, because it was a pandemic election. Nobody really won the election, but there were a lot of losers And it's time to kind of break it down. The People's Party of Canada, the Conservative Party of Canada, where are the Liberals now? And so to have that discussion, I reached out to my friend Andrew Lawton, who works with True North News. He was on the road during the election. He covered the campaigns in person. He was with the O'Toole campaign, with the Bernier campaign for the PPC. Uh, And as always, his insights are both fascinating and very welcome. So this is my conversation with my friend Andrew Lawton. All right, Andrew, just to start off, what's your initial reaction from election night? Was this more or less the result you expected? Are you kind of disappointed by the PPC turnout or what's your take? Yeah, at the very beginning of the campaign, I was saying liberal minority for sure. Like that was something I was pretty darn confident about. And then there were those couple of weeks where it seemed like, you know what, Justin Trudeau was having a a failure to launch problem. And I I was kind of amending at that point, like, oh, maybe it's going to be conservative minority. But around, uh, I think, week three, when the firearm stuff uh, started to dominate, I I said, you know, there's no way the conservatives are getting back on message, back into liberal minority. And I should have stuck with my, no pun intended, I should have stuck with my guns the first time around because because that was exactly what happened. Here's an interesting thing, right? Because any all the listeners to this podcast will know that I come at this from a socially conservative perspective. And Aaron O'Toole promised us exactly two things. He promised us free votes uh, in the House of Commons, so he wouldn't do what Harper did with 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 Mark Werewa on the gender side motion. He wasn't going to muzzle caucus, and he was going to uphold conscience rights. Of course, he buckled on that almost immediately. And and the way he buckled on it was crazy. He just got asked a couple of aggressive questions from a Globe and Mail reporter, and boom, the policy was out the window along with a chunk of his base. But what was it like coming from your side of things? So you come from the more libertarian faction of the party. Firearms is one of your primary issues. And and as I've said before, I think Aaron O'Toole was running out of factions of the conservative base to screw over by the time we actually hit election day. What were you hearing from from the libertarian wing, from from the gun owners and the guns rights activists? Were they just as choked as social conservatives were? It was actually really, really challenging. And I I should say that one of the great things I bring into an election campaign is that I'm not a partisan. So I I don't feel the need to ensure that my particular side wins. Like you, I'm a movement guy. There are ideas that I want championed, and I I perhaps have a bit more of a broader array of them that I care about. I'm I'm not a single-issue voter, but there's absolutely nothing wrong with people who are. And the firearms community was really, really split on this. And there were a lot of tense fights because you have the purists that say, yeah, you know what, people... PPC. They're the only party that, you know, I'm prepared to vote for because they're the ones that are being clear and unambiguous on X, Y, Z. And then you have the pragmatists who say, okay, the most electable 
option for people that want a pro-firearms owner policy is going to be the Conservatives. And, and there was a lot of tension. The Conservative PPC divide is not new. It certainly was more inflamed this time around. But the, there was a challenge, though, because a lot of gun owners are so used to being screwed, like social Conservatives are, by politicians, that they want to be coddled and reminded of what they're going to do. And you had others, like uh, the Canadian Coalition for Firearms right, Rights, which was basically saying, we don't want guns talked about in the campaign at all. We know Aaron O'Toole is on side. We don't want this to be an election issue because they know that the culture is not where they are. And that was exactly what happened. Once the firearms discussion became the focal point of the campaign, you couldn't have an honest discussion about it because uh, Aaron O'Toole is not going to be like, well, actually, that's not an assault rifle. And what you really mean is, uh, and no one wants to go down that road of actually starting to nitpick about the specifics and the details of why the Trudeau approach to guns just isn't working. Now, that's an interesting point, because you and I have discussed many times how a trophy and, and, and how terrible the abortion debate is in this country, because the, everybody has a role to play and everybody plays it, right? The, the media says that pro-lifers are horrible, misogynist people who don't belong in this country. And then you've got the liberals accusing the, 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 the conservatives of banning abortion. The red Tories are happy to say, look, this rhetoric is killing us. And as such, we need to offload social conservatives or at least social conservative policies in order to get elected. Of course, we saw that that didn't work out too well for O'Toole, but we'll get to that later. But I've always thought, okay, abortion is a is a tougher issue to discuss in the media, but also because they're not asking the questions that would actually allow us to articulate our position by and large. Like I talk incredibly fast when I'm interviewed by media because I know I've had them try to splice my sentences in half while I'm talking to them. So I talk like a like a like a carnival barker on coke to try and get through all of my points to make sure that they can't split it without looking overtly dishonest. Is it more or less the same with with issues like guns that it's just that the climate makes it is it impossible to have a good discussion or is it just that the media has no idea what they're talking about or benefits from a guns are scary sort of perspective on this well, it's a bit of both. I mean, you have 2 million licensed gun owners in Canada, which is a large number, especially when it comes to an internal race like a leadership or a nomination. But when you look at general population, it means it's a very slim minority of Canadians that are firearms owners. So most Canadians who are not firearms owners know very little. They've probably never seen a gun. They've probably never knowingly met a gun owner. And then you have a lot of those people that are becoming the workers in newsrooms who as well do not know anything about this issue. So the people reporting on guns don't know the difference between a semi-automatic and a fully automatic, a bolt action and a lever action. And when you want to have a politician that's going to say, well, actually, this thing that the liberals are doing is only going after law-abiding gun owners, you have to get into a level of technical detail that most people don't have the baseline knowledge or the interest in entertaining. And just the one big example of that is the definition of the word assault rifle. Assault rifles have been banned in Canada for close to 50 years. When the liberals talk about assault rifles, they're basically making up a word that no one has the political capital to call them on. Now, one of the things uh, that's been really interesting post-election is that this is, I think, I think you'll agree that the first election where a conservative candidate actually decided to run against the base. So with Stephen Harper, to this day, we don't know what his position on abortion was, although his voting record was pro-choice. If he had a, if he had personal pro-life convictions, which I often joke that there was more pro-lifers uh, who believed in the hidden agenda rhetoric coming from the liberals uh, than anybody else because they desperately hoped it was true. But like, but 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 Stephen Harper worked to keep SoCons 
in the tent, even though we were pretty fed up with him by the end of it. And, and, and Stephen Harper judges have transformed the country in, in, in the progressive model. And I think even Harper realizes that he screwed up in that area. Then you've got Andrew Scheer, who was a social conservative, but didn't know how to talk about it. And now the media finally, and Aaron O'Toole, kind of got their perfect conservative candidate. He was A, a candidate that whenever they said, you look kind of scary over there, he would instantly change, right? Okay, I'll put an asterisk next to my gun policy. No, oh, sorry, I just didn't know that conscience rights meant that that health workers got to actually follow their conscience. So no, scrapping that too. You know, he, he gave them everything they wanted and he ran to the center and abandoned his his right flank. And for years, it's been like, that's the only way conservatives can win, right? One of my friends who's actually a gay rights activist in Vancouver said to me, yeah, the only way a conservative can win is by running to the right in a leadership race and then pivoting right and screwing over their base. That's the only way they can win. And somewhere mid-campaign there, it kind of looked like that might actually pay off. And that would have been very devastating for social conservatives because the media has been saying for a very long time that that's the only way a conservative could win, but they've never actually had proof of concept. Now they've got a guy who did like worse than Andrew Scheer in seat count, worse than Andrew Scheer in vote count, and is still saying, no, give me a second crack to run against the base. And this time I'll move over far enough to get enough voters to put me over the top, accentuating at that point, uh, I think, the hole on his, his right flank, which will bring us into the PPC discussion later. But when you looked at that campaign, why would you say Aaron O'Toole lost against a prime minister sort of crippled by Jody Ray, Jody Wilson-Raybould's memoir, by ethics violations, and just by like pandemic fatigue. People were, were just people were just kind of sick of him, which is why they only gave him a minority. What's your take on all this? Yeah, I was actually in Ottawa the day the election was called because I knew there was going to be a press conference. I wanted to uh, talk to Aaron O'Toole and ask some questions about what the conservative campaign would be. And I stayed overnight and I'm glad I did because the next day ended up being the day the conservatives launched their platform, the first full day of the campaign. And I was in this lockup with other journalists and the party goes and they distribute this, you know, men's health magazine knockoff that was, uh, I think, like 120 pages of promises and pledges. And it was so large and so comprehensive, but there was nothing in it that really became like a flagship policy. There was no banner policy. The Liberals had $10 a day daycare. That was a big one that they were really hinging their campaign on. There was nothing for the Conservatives that, that I said, yeah, that, that's the thing. That's the, the thing that they're going to win. And certainly they had lots of policies in there and even some that remained by the end of the campaign. But, but at the end of the day, there was nothing in there that really stood out. So if you're trying to brand yourself self especially when you're relatively unknown and you're up against a hostile media, you can talk all you want about, yes, we want to secure the future and COVID recovery and balance the budget in 10 years and all that sort of stuff. But none of that is going to be as clearly defining as he's legalizing assault rifles. He's got scary social conservatives in his party and all of these other things. And that was the real challenge is that the liberal definitions were sticking more than anything that the conservatives were trying to use to define themselves. On a definitional question, because from my, my understanding of the conservative platform is it was just a, a massive exercise in micro-targeting. There's all these little policies that were micro-targeted to, to various groups. It was part of his worker-friendly pivot, which I actually don't object to at all and think is actually quite smart. 
But do you think Aaron O'Toole qualifies as any kind of conservative, right? If you went, go through the list of, of groups, he sort of offloaded during that campaign, right? It was, he, you know, said, oh, no, we're going to do a carbon tax. And, and, and I know for a fact, and you probably know this as well, a lot of his MPs were livid and were not even told that he was going to be rolling this out. And then you've got, the, as you pointed out, Canadian gun owners, you've got social conservatives. And once you work your way down the list, it's kind of like, okay, who is really left? And like, what is he standing on? You'll notice he's also the very first leader to run on a platform that didn't really talk about free speech. And Aaron O'Toole didn't talk about it at all because he's bought into the liberal premise that free speech is like a code word for people saying horrible things that I don't agree with, right? Which it should be also that. Um, you know, the definition of freedom of speech should be incredibly broad. But like, I'm open to being wrong on this because there are different kinds of conservative. But by the time he was finished going through the base and then giving his his victory night speech where he said, we are a conservatism that is kind or blah, 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 blah. And he went through a whole long list of things that conservatism actually is. Do you think he qualifies by any definition anymore? Well, I, I think he's a red Tory. I, I don't think he qualifies as the true blue conservative that he was branding himself as in the leadership last year. I, I will defend him slightly on the free speech question because in the platform, he had laid out the things he wasn't going to do on internet speech, which were some of the Trudeau reforms that were proposed like Bill C-10 and C-36, C-36 being the, the particularly dangerous one. And O'Toole did say very clearly he wasn't going to do that. But at the same time, he also promised to uh, ensure freedom of speech on publicly funded university and college campuses in Canada. And I asked him a question, which to be honest, I thought was an easy question. I say, you say you're going to preserve and protect free speech on publicly funded university and college campuses. Does this mean you're going to cut funding to any schools that don't cut federal funding? And he, he didn't answer. So even something like that, that, that is almost just ripping it directly from the platform and getting you to just say it verbally, he couldn't do. And, and that was the, the conservative default position of being in defense mode. I, I think there were conservative policies, but you're right. A lot of them were on a very sort of micro level. And if you look at the conservative party of Canada or the conservative movement as just this large group of people that have varying degrees of conservative views, sure, there was some stuff in it. But if you look at the constituent groups of that, social conservatives, gun owners, libertarians, foreign policy conservatives, populist conservatives, all of these groups, I don't really think there was a single group left that was being appealed to, except for the group that just wants the liberals out of power. What do you think is the most likely scenario going ahead? Now, we know that there's a lot of people that are gunning for Aaron's head. That always happens, but I think it's happening with a lot more vigor now because a lot of MPs feel insulted, right? And a lot quicker. Yeah, when, when Aaron comes out three days before the campaign and says, we're a socially progressive party and ignores the 80% of his MPs who voted for for the ban on gender selection, abortion. And, you know, people were like, you know, you had a chance to, to be the guy, you know, you had a chance to, to bring us victory. You, you were trying something new. And now we don't have to put up with your, your contempt for us and our beliefs anymore. And I'm hearing a lot of rumbling about a lot. There's a, there's a, like, there's a lot of people that I didn't think would be angry and didn't think would go for it, but they are really angry and the numbers are building. What's your best guess? Do you think there's going to be a, a leadership race and we're going to see Aaron O'Toole get shanked? Or do you think he's going to manage to hang on to this long enough to get a second crack at the can? 
Well, so there are two big questions there. And, and remember, there is an automatic leadership review that the members or rather convention delegates will get to uh, vote on. The problem is the convention's not scheduled right now until 2023, two years from now. O'Toole's pitch, and we already heard this the day after the election, is that you know there could be an election in 18 months. So we've got to be ready. We've got to be ready to go at, at the drop of a hat like Canadians were for the most part for the last uh, six to eight months or so. So he's going to say there could be an election. We we don't want to be thrown off. We don't want to go into a leadership race. And, and that's going to get more and more clear, that position, the closer it gets to 2023 when that convention is scheduled. The flip side of that is the caucus angle. Now, caucus could, the very first day they sit, make a vote, and they could actually put a leadership review in place. They could actually get rid of Sheer, uh, get rid of, well, there's a Freudian slip. They could get rid of O'Toole if they wanted. The problem is we know that caucus is, generally speaking, not in interested in going hard tilt right necessarily. The caucus was overwhelmingly behind Peter McKay in the last leadership race. And I I think when you look at the sheer numbers, especially which members of caucus are going back, there were a couple of people that I think might have voted against O'Toole that didn't win re-election. The ones who are actually going back to Ottawa, I don't think are likely to want to throw them out. So you think you'll hang on just because a lot of people who have a special reason to want him out didn't make it and therefore can't do anything about it? Yeah, I, I think I think he'll hang on through the caucus phase of it. The member phase will come down to timing. Yeah, yeah, no, very true. Which brings us to the, the final point I wanted to discuss with you, which is the People's Party of Canada. Now, I, I found them pretty interesting for a while. When, when, they, when they first launched, I kind of thought this is Maxime Bernier's vanity project because he's choked that... You know, he barely lost the leadership race to Andrew Scheer. It was by like, you know, a decimal pointage of a percent. And, and, and it wasn't, and when he lost his own seat, it was kind of like, well, there goes that. And then this was kind of their moment, right? With lockdowns and vaccine passports. And suddenly there was a lot of people who were interested in somebody providing an alternative that involved respect for their, for their civil liberties. And so I, I think it's fair to say that this was, this was Maxim's moment in a lot of ways. The PPC ran some serious candidates. I supported the PPC candidate in my riding because the Conservatives didn't give me a pro-life candidate to vote for. And I'm not only a single-issue voter, but I won't vote for a pro-choice candidate full stop. So that is my litmus test issue. Like, and, and, and the PPC candidate here in this riding was Wendy Martin, and she had right in her Facebook profile, I am a supporter of the pro-life cause. I'm like, okay, good. I don't even have to call you to find out what your position is on this. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna support the PPC candidate. But if I if I you know live just across the road because it's Haldeman Norfolk is literally across the road, I would have voted for for Leslie Lewis. So um, I'm I'm fairly fairly promiscuous voter in in in, in that regard. One of the things I was always really interested to see the PPC do this time around is would they professionalize or not? Because uh, there's a lot of people who who get mad at me for saying why don't you talk about the Christian Heritage Party is the only real pro-life party. And my answer to that always is because they aren't a political party in the real sense of the word. They aren't professionalized. Most of their candidates are working other full-time jobs, are not door knocking, are not distributing literature. Like they're just they I take I take the Christian Heritage Party about as seriously as they take it, which is they they're offering people a, you know a conscience inbox to offload their vote in when they're, when they're unhappy with everybody else, but they have no serious plan to actually take power. They have no serious plan to take a seat, 
right? They don't even have a Green Party plan to, you know, pick a riding that's swarming with social conservatives and focusing all of their energy and their budget there. Uh, and I was interested to see, okay, is the PPC party going to move beyond like the many fringe parties like the CHP and professionalize and become an actual political force or not? How do you think they did in this election in that regard, especially because with Maxim, well, we knew Maxim wasn't going to win his seat because he wasn't even in his riding on election night. But what's your whole take of, of the PPC's impact on this election, but also what it says about their future moving forward? Yeah, I mean, you, you have a lot, I think, in there that's very important to delve into. And the professionalization aspect is key. Like, I remember he, seeing some candidates on Twitter in 2019 looking like, oh, my goodness, like just completely conspiracy theory nuttery on Twitter. I didn't delve into as many individual candidates now, but I, I know there were a couple that came up, like one guy that, you know, is coaching people online on how to breathe through their testicles, which uh, normally is not a winnable position in an election, but you never know in uh, in 2021 what's going to fly. Uh, and you do have some serious candidate. You have a former member of parliament that was running for the PPC. You've got uh, some candidates that, that really did run very well organized campaigns that actually canvassed and put up signs and, and were, were in debate saying things that I think were, were completely valid things. And, but, but at the end of the day, you also have a party that lacks the funding and infrastructure to do a lot of the vetting. And it's also a party that I think is fundamentally against the idea of vetting You know, every post you've ever made on Facebook and every tweet you've ever made in a way that the liberals and conservatives would be inclined to do and, and are inclined to do. So I, I think that is going to be an issue because the PPC had the benefit and the drawback, and I'll explain that in a moment, of no one took it seriously at the beginning of the campaign. The media devoted no attention and no resources to covering the PPC. So all the things they would have done if they wanted to sink the PPC, they weren't doing. And by the time the media started to pay attention, after for three and four weeks, the PPC have been at like double digits in the polling fairly consistently, the media kind of jumped on to say, okay, we're going to cover this party now, but they didn't really have time to do any deep dives or investigation into it. Next time, I think that's going to be different. And, and there are a couple of reasons. Number one, Bernier got more than 4% of the vote, which is the threshold that the Leaders' Debates Commission has set out for inclusion in Leaders' Debates. So next election, the leader of the PPC, which will probably be Bernier, we don't know for sure, will be able to be in those debates unless they change the rules, which uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did, but that as the as the criteria stand, the PPC leader will be in the debates. And, and also, it will depend on how the conservatives respond. There are a lot of people when I've caught when I've interviewed PPC supporters that have said, well, if Pierre Polyev were the leader, I, I, it would be different. So if the conservatives do have a leader that takes that unity mindset seriously, it could take the wind out of the sails of the PPC, as could not having the vaccine mandates, vaccine passports, lockdown narrative, which really helped the party build a coalition that cut across traditional partisan lines. In 2019, the PPC was sort of your ultra-conservative party for disgruntled conservatives. In 2021, it's very different. I, I met. There's a story I told on my show that I'll share here. A woman at an Edmonton rally, she was a, a lesbian who homeschooled her kids in energy and new earth education and worked as a Reiki healer, and she was there cheering on Maxine Bernier, diehard PPC supporter, but not a woman who ever would consider voting for the Conservative Party of Canada. And, and the PPC brought that in because it was, for the most part, a, a single-issue party in terms of a lot of its events and a lot of the momentum. Now, looking at, at Maxim and the party, because I am interested in this, like he has to nail down a seat at a certain point if he is going to be if he is going to be taken seriously. Do you think, because like 
you know a lot of the PPC folks and you, and you know Maxim himself. How serious is Maxim about about building something that will last? Because part of me sometimes wonders if he's a bit of a Trump figure. And by that, I mean, Trump very clearly enjoys the campaigning more than the governing, right? He loves the big rallies. He loves being the conduit for for frustration about certain issues. And so that's why you had, you had, you know, Max going to all of these all of these rallies, right? And then, you know, he always was posted like, like the Mad Max tour, right? Like, here I am in this city with everybody furious about this issue. You know, I'm, I'm walking the streets of Montreal with thousands of Quebecers at his back. Yeah, literally ended up in jail in Winnipeg because of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? So I can see how, especially if, if, if you're a libertarian with an activist bent, you're kind of having a blast, you know, just being the conduit for that. And you're traveling the country and meeting thousands of people, even if they're not the majority, there's a lot of people in almost every constituency who are really fed up with the way things are going. So do you think that he's he's comfortable being the lightning rod for all of that? Or does he actually have a plan to nail down a ride and get elected and, and do the hard work of governing? What's your sense on that? To be honest, I don't know if I can answer that question. I, I would have thought in 2020, so in that inter-election period between 2019 and now, that the PPC was almost just serving as a fundraising vehicle to keep Maxime relevant and in the movement and let him sort of advance in, in cultural issues, but using a political party as a vehicle. He had started a podcast. He was speaking at events. The pandemic did change that, and, and it changed it in a very real way, where all of a sudden you had, I remember the the day of the English debate, the Green leader, the Bloc leader, the Liberal NDP conservative leaders all got together and recorded a vaccine PSA. So if you are someone who's uncomfortable with vaccines, or you're someone who is pro-vaccine, but just not comfortable with the uh, sort of the shoving it down your throat mentality, or if you are just outright anti-vax, there was only one party leader that was speaking to you irrespective of anything else and any other issues. So that's, I, I think, a game changer in, in a very real way. So what happened for Bernier is that all of a sudden there was this base that he was able to find. And, and I've often said, to, to quote my friend Mark Stein, that it's easier for a leader to or for a base to find itself a new leader than a leader to find itself a new base. And this was a great example where there was a ready-made base that he could just walk into and become the, the, the political conduit for as you mentioned. So that is, I think, going to be one of the game changers. It's whether he can keep that up and, and whether those people will follow him when that immediate visceral anger is no longer there. <laughs> There's that great famous political quote that, that reminded me of Maxim and, and, and the pandemic situation in this election, which is, you know, there go my people and I must follow them for I am their leader. Right. And the, but the other quote that I think of often is, 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 you know, when the conservatives and the libertarians also took over the Republican Party from the sort of red Tory version of, of the of the of American politicians, you had Phyllis Schlafly, who sold three million copies um, of a book out of her garage in defense of Barry Goldwater back in 1964 called The Choice, Not an Echo. And I think that's what a lot that's certainly what I'm looking for is I want a choice, not an echo, because. What what is Aaron O'Toole going to give me that Justin Trudeau isn't? Now you mentioned the internet policy, oh, but honestly, when you say like he made a list of things he wasn't going to do, I think that was pretty much all he had going for him, right? Is the things that he wasn't going to do, like no, I I don't think O'Toole would defund you know crisis pregnancy centers, for example. But this is this is this is the curse of, of being a Canadian conservative is that you always, is that liberals bring the ball down the field. They make massive change. And, and they really do on a lot of these issues, like the transgender issue and things like that. Things have changed overnight. Like Canadian law has been transformed. Like they, they go after freedom of speech. They reframe the way we can communicate with each other. And the conservatives get in. They don't roll any of that stuff back. 
Instead, what they do is like, you're going to have a few years of some, of some slightly better fiscal accountability. We have a much better account than the other guy does. And we're not going to talk about any of those social issues ever again. And then inevitably a, a liberal gets back in and they just pick up where they left off and continue going, which means that like social conservatism is in a constant state of retreat. And I'm not really sure, and, and that's not just true for social conservatism as we discussed. It's true for actually a long list of, of small C conservative issues. What do you think is the best path forward for small C conservatives, for social conservatives, for the for the people that that you represent, for the libertarian wing, um, or 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 is this just the way it is? Do we need do we need the PPC to professionalize, to grow, play reform party spoil, and basically just make the Conservative Party of Canada lose a couple of elections to ensure that they realize that they're actually going to have to to, to court us back into the party because. You know, O'Toole's frustration with the vote splitting thing really irritated me, right? He's like, oh, this vote splitting. I'm like, one, you're not entitled to my vote. And two, you're like the guy who slapped somebody in the face at a party a few times and I got upset when he left, right? It's like, you know, I'm like, I, like, I want you in the tent, but off the platform. Why can't you just shut up and listen? It's like, no, forget it. Like, you're not entitled to, for my vote. And I, and I know a lot of conservatives feel that way. And so it's just sort of as a, uh, as a wrap up question, I'd love to know where you think small C conservatives should go on these issues. Before I get to that, I, I do want to address something else you said there, which is the, the professionalization aspect of the PPC. One thing that I didn't notice about the PPC campaign is that they're not tactical at all. There was no there was no get out the vote campaign. There was no voter identification campaign and even picking the ridings. It was more interesting, more uh, advantageous for them. They felt to have a candidate in every riding than it was to really pick. And this is where we think we can win. And, and that was the challenge is that you had some ridings, certainly when I was out in Alberta where there's a really solid conservative MP there, but there's a PPC candidate running against them very aggressively because for them, it's personal. And certainly for Maxime, it's personal. And he's happy to just sort of burn the whole thing down because he doesn't like the Conservative Party of Canada, as is his prerogative. The Maverick, which was sort of the Western-focused alternative, tried to be tactical about it. They say, we're only going to run in seats where the Conservatives got, you know, like 80% of the vote, because that way, even if we were to take half of their vote, it's going to be us or them winning, not a, a Liberal or NDP. So, so the PPC has not had that tactical mindset that some people would argue is probably important for it to be professionalized a little bit more. But to, to go to the bigger picture aspect of this, of what happens moving forward, I'm done with the wink, wink from politicians of, of once we get in there, we'll look after you. And this was what, I, again, I talked about earlier, firearms owners were kind of like, no, 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 we, we know he's on side. We don't want him to bring it up. We, we just want him to get there and do it. A lot of people who felt that were very disappointed under conservatives, Stephen Harper. And, and that was, I think, the big thing where I'm at the point now, I want a leader who's not prepared or who is prepared to completely own what they believe and who's not prepared to just fold at the first sign of pushback, which you know is coming no matter what. So my view on this, as you and I have talked about at great length in the past, on air and off air, is to, to keep moving the culture so that a lot of these things that I do care about politically are not so toxic, so that there is a base of support if a politician stands up and, and says something and does something. And, and that's my big priority here. And I think that needs to be the priority for all of these different groups is to lay that foundation so that the, the the retreat mentality is not the most desirable one and the easiest one to latch onto. Well, that's awesome, Andrew. Thanks so much for joining us again. I'm sure we'll be talking about, about politics on these shows again real soon, especially if things get interesting for the Conservative Party. I look forward to it.
Ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with Andrew Lawden of True North. Thank you so much for joining us this week. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can find The Van Maren Show wherever you get your podcasts from iTunes to SoundCloud. Please do check it out. Thank you once again for joining us.